Man created a mess. God intervenes and says, I'm interested in your mess. I want to clean it up. Why? Because what's at stake is the plan of redemption for you and I. Welcome to Elevate Retake. This is Michael. Now, normally on Elevate Retake, you can expect to hear the biblical messages that I share as the pastor for Elevate, a community fellowship of Key Church. But today, we've got something special cooking up for you. You know, we want you to experience faith as the continual everyday process of learning more about the Bible, yourself, and your God. And, you know, I believe this podcast will be just what you need to come to a closer relationship with God. Today's episode is a special one. We've got a guest speaker for you. His name is Semu Sialoga, and he's one of our pastoral interns right here at Elevate and Key Church. He's a senior theology student of Southwestern Adventist University and has a passion for loving other people and sharing the gospel. On today's episode, he asks us the question, does God use messy people? And you might feel like he doesn't, or maybe better put, he couldn't use you. Because let's face it, right? How, how can God use someone messed up like you or me? Well, today, Semu is going to take us to Genesis 18 and 19 and look at a very messy stage of Abraham's life as we continue our series, Wandering. Let's join Semu for today's episode, Game of Thrones. God has been good. God has been awesome. I know we live in unprecedented times and uh, you are there in the comfort of your home, worshiping with us and Elevate. So welcome to Elevate, where there's always room for one more. If there's somebody who needs to be sitting next to you watching Elevate, I invite you to invite them at this time. But before we get into the word, I just want to give a little shout out to all the first responders and to all the uh, essential workers who have been working hard this past week, rather be in the hospitals, in the, uh, in the uh, grocery stores, on the road, whatever. Uh, praise the Lord for you. May God continue to bless you in your efforts during this pandemic. And if you're like me, who uh, was in quarantine this whole week at, at home, uh, doing a little uh, walk, or doing a little drive here and there, maybe some of us spent time with our kids this whole week, and we have found out that the uh, issue is not the teachers or the school. And all the teachers say, amen. Or maybe us, uh, we've been spending it next, uh, on Netflix and chill, but I've seen some of you have been spending your quarantine time on TikTok. That's cool. That's cool. That's all right. But as Pastor Michael said, we are continuing our series on wandering in the book of Genesis on the life of Abraham. So I invite you to get your word ready or your holy device as we will go through some verses in Genesis and I pray that I will do justice to God's word this morning and that you will be blessed and moved this Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit now to enter into this place and to teach us and to help me, Father God. May the words that I speak be words of life, of affirmation, of power, a testimony of your love, mercy, and grace. And this is only possible, Lord, through you. So we ask now to fill this place and to fill our hearts and our minds and to fill the spaces of where people are watching from this morning. Be with us. This I pray. Amen. Story goes of two construction workers 
who are eating lunch, and it's Monday. Their names are Joel and John. John opens up his lunch and says, oh, yes, my wife made my favorite spaghetti and meatballs. Joel opens up his lunch and says, oh, bologna sandwich. Okay, it's only Monday. I can deal with it. Tuesday comes, lunchtime again. John opens up his lunch. Yes, my wife made my favorite Alfredo with some extra sauce and my favorite noodles. Joe opens up his lunch and says, oh, bologna sandwich again. This happens Wednesday. This happens Thursday. And on Thursday, as Joe opens up his lunch again and sees bologna sandwich, he says, if this happens tomorrow Friday, I'm going to have to do something. This is just wrong. I have bologna sandwich the whole week. I hope that I have something different on Friday. Friday comes. John and Joe get together for lunch once again. John opens up his lunch. Yes! My wife made veggie turkey and rice, if that sounds good to you. And Joe opens up his lunch, and guess what he has? Bologna sandwich. And he complains to John and says, oh, why? Bologna sandwich again. John says, Joe, why don't you tell your wife? Make you something different. John then turns, I mean, Joel now then turns to John and says, John, I'm not married. I make my own lunch. May I suggest to you today that a lot of the baloney, a lot of the mess that is in our lives, I say a lot, I didn't say all, but a lot, most of the baloney, most of the mess that is in our lives. Is put there by nobody else but us. As we go through the book of Genesis, and we'll find the meat of our message in chapter 21. But to set up chapter 21, I want to start from the beginning and just give a little overview of the chapters leading up to 21. And there will be a constant theme that I'd like to present to you that sets up chapter 21 as we finish our series here, here on wandering. Genesis opens up with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. This great God, this powerful God who is our creator, creates a perfect world, a perfect place. And then in chapter 2, it says that he forms man and he invites us to a wedding where he then creates women, Adam and Eve. But by chapter 3, not very long after chapter 2, we find a mess. We find that Adam and Eve had taken part of the forbidden fruit and they find themselves in a fallen state. But verse 14 is the hope. So the Lord God said to the serpent, if you follow me, chapter 3, verse 14, because you have done this, and he's addressing the serpent. You are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head. He shall bruise his heel. Praise the Lord. Man has created a mess, but God steps in right away 
and he shall bruise. I like how the NIV puts it. He shall crush your head. He's addressing the serpent. Now the mess happens up until verse 13. But right away in verse 14, God intervenes. Praise the Lord. This indicates that there was no hesitation. There was no second thought. That as soon as man fell, God intervened. As soon as man uh, created this mess, God intervened. As soon as there was sin, there was a Savior. Praise the Lord. And he shall crush your head. He addresses the very roots of all problems, the very root of all sin, the very root of all calamity, the very root of all disease. He addresses the serpent. He addresses the problem head on. And he says, he, her seed, shall crush, bruise your head. Oh, beloved, as soon as there was sin, there was a Savior. As soon as man created mess, God intervenes. And this is the theme that we'll see from, verse, uh, from chapter 3 to chapter 21, that time after time, there's now a plan of redemption in, in play. But man creates a mess, and God has to intervene so that that plan of redemption remains for our redemption, for your redemption this morning. And as we move on, we find the whole story of Adam in chapters 4 and 5. And then we come to chapter 6. Chapter 6. And it says that the wickedness and the sin of man has now become so great, man again is creating a mess. But in verse 8, God intervenes. It says, but oh, Noah finds grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we find the whole, uh, in chapters 8, 6, 7, and 8, we find the whole story of the flood and how God uses Noah as he intervenes on the mess that man has created. By the way, just a little uh, insert into the life of Noah. Many, many suggest that the, uh, the very test of Noah's faith, or the greatest test of Noah's faith was building the ark. The, very, uh, the greatest test of Noah's faith was preaching for 120 years. But may I suggest to us this morning that, in my opinion, if that means anything, the greatest test of Noah's faith sometimes goes overlooked. And if you'll do some math with me real quick, I'd like to present that test of faith. In chapter 7, verse 6, it says that Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, God commands Noah to begin building the ark and to, print, to begin preaching 120 years before the flood waters. Now we do some math. 600 minus 120, we get 480. But look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 32. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And in chapter 6, verse 18, we find that God tells Noah 120 years before the flood that you are to, that you will be the savior of the world, that you will be part of my covenant, and that you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives 
will be saved there on the ark. But if we did the math, this began when Noah was 480, but he didn't have kids or he didn't have his sons until he was 500. So that means there's a 20-year gap there. So for 20 years, I can imagine, Noah's preaching, God will bring the flood waters, but he's going to save me and my sons. And I can imagine the people saying, sons? What sons? You have no sons. And I think that's the greatest test of, of Noah's faith that we have here mentioned in the Bible, is that for that 20 years, he was preaching that he and his family, God will save them. But yet for 20 years, he had no sons. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Remember the whole theme now. Man creates mess, God intervenes because the plan of redemption is now into play. And we see that out of the seed of Shem, Noah's son, we have Terah. And out of Terah's seed, we have Abram. Which now in chapter 12, we find that Abram is now 75 years old, and God gives him a command. If you follow me in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, 2, and 3. Now the Lord has said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Abram is facing the same situation as Noah. God has promised him to be the father of a great nation, to have, that he will be a blessing, that he will have descendants. But what sets that up is the chapter before that. In chapter 11, verse 30, it says, But Sarai was barren. She had no child. Remember Abram's age now. He's 75. God calls him to leave his home, his country. Now, this would have been easy for a young man to do if he was single, maybe. But by now, I believe that Abraham is set up. He's situated in his situation there in his homeland. And he's 75 years old. But God calls him to go. But not only that, God says, I will make you father of a great nation with many descendants. But Sarah is barren. Chapter 12, verse 7 says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give you this land. Chapter 13, we find that Abram inherits Canaan. Chapter 14, Lot is captive and he is rescued. And then we come to chapter 15 once again. By now, Sarah is still barren. They are still wandering and they are in Canaan because God has called them to be there. In chapter 15, I believe God reminds Abram because like most of us, we know what happens in chapter 16. So I believe that throughout his whole time, as he has this promise in his mind that God will bless him with many descendants, that God will bless him and will make him a father of a great nation. But yet, Sarah is still barren, yet he still has no hair. And I believe that in chapter 15, God kind of sees Abram's faith is kind of wavering. So he reminds him again in chapter 15, verse 5. Then he brought, talking about the Lord, he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven 
and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. He's reminding Abram, remember the promise. Remember, you are to be a father of a great nation. But in chapter 16, we know the story. We know what happens with Hagar and Ishmael. And it's interesting that this scene that plays out, we see it before, or we've seen it before, where Sarah comes out with this, with this plan to take her maidservant, Hagar. And as she introduces the idea to Abram, he goes along with it. We've seen that before, right, in the beginning. Where Eve has taken, uh, taken part of the fruit, and then she now tells Adam to also take part, and it happens. But nonetheless, Ishmael is now born. Abram is creating a mess. God has promised him a hair. God has promised him a child, but he has gone, he and Sarai has, have gone through their own efforts to try and fulfill that promise. But may I point you to, in my opinion, to the hope that is found in chapter 16. You see, a lot of people get hung up on Hagar and Ishmael. But verse 7, chapter 16, verse 7, it says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. We find that now Hagar is on the run, but the angel of the Lord appears to her. Praise the Lord. Although Abram and Sarai have come up with this plan, they are creating a mess. Hagar is on the run. But the Lord takes interest in that mess. It says that he approaches Hagar. But on that, verse 11, it says, And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, for you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Not only has the Lord presented himself to Hagar, but it says that the angel of the Lord as well, this is the first time recorded that he names a son. And his name shall be Ishmael, which translates, God shall hear. This is good news. And despite the mess that Abram is creating, yet God is still interested in the mess. Maybe some of us are in a mess now. We're in a rut. I want to encourage you this morning to stay fast, steadfast, stand firm. God as well is interested in your mess. And he wants to call it by name. God shall hear, even in your time of trouble. Verse 17, he gives us a sign of the covenant, and there's a change of name from Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah. We find in 17, verse 19, God gives him the promise again. You see, although man, Abram has created a mess, God intervenes and gives him the promise again. 
Chapter 17, verse 19, then God said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his descendants after him. In verse 18, by now, Abraham and Sarah are in their old age. God reminds them again of the promise. They, uh, Sarah laughs, and God responds in chapter, four, uh, in chapter 18, verse 14. It says, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 19, we find Sodom and Gomorrah, and then we come to chapter 20, which sets up chapter 21. In chapter 20, we find that he arrives in Gerar, and he interacts with Ambebelech, who is the prince or the king of the land. And notice that he introduces Sarah, not as his wife, but as his sister, in fear for his own life. Side note, for those husbands who are watching, imagine if you were to introduce your wife as your sister. I think you'll be in quarantine a lot longer after the COVID-19 is gone. But he addresses, but he introduces her as his sister. Man is creating mess again. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he creates mess, but immediately God intervenes in verse 3 of the same chapter. It says that God came to Abimelech in a dream. And says, you better take back Sarah to Abraham, for that's Abraham's wife. And if you, do, if you don't, you shall die. Not only will you die, but all the women in your land, I will close up their wombs, and they will become barren. Abraham, through his decision to do this ruse again, and I say again because this happens in chapter 12, if you remember, he does the same thing before Pharaoh. He's doing it again in chapter 20. And by now, it's, it's an indication that they have been using this ruse uh, throughout the time, and by, by now they think that they are pros at it and that nobody will call them out. But God, through Amalek, calls them out. You see, Amalek now realizes who Sarah is and approaches Abraham and tells Abraham, what have you done to me to bring this curse upon my land? Question. In some of our decisions that we have based selfishly for our own good or for our own safety or whatever the reason, for selfish reasons, have we or have those decisions affected innocent people in our lives? It's something to ponder, I think upon. But Abimelech finds himself innocently now under a curse because of the decision of Abraham. Abraham is creating a mess. But God intervenes and says in a dream, Abimelech returned Sarah. But not only that, Abraham, my prophet, will pray for you. And these curses or these and or these curses or your women's wombs will be opened up again. And we find that in verse 17 of chapter 20. 
It says, So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children. Side note. Uh, food for thought. It's interesting that Abraham's prayer for Abimelech opened up the wombs of many. But yet his own prayers could not open up the womb of his own wife. Think about that. This week in quarantine, study deeper into that thought. But nevertheless, God intervenes. And when God intervenes, not only does he call out Abraham through Abimelech, but I'm pretty sure that it was a time of, hum, of, of humility for Abraham as God tells him to go and pray now for the situation that you created. Go now and pray for the very man that you affected. And then we come to verse 21. This sermon is entitled Game of Thrones. And in verse 21, there is a battle for the firstborn rights. There is a battle for the blessing. There is a battle for the throne. In verse 21, and, Lord, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Amen. In other words, God means what he says and says what he means. God was on time in his time. He visited Sarah as he said he would. And as he said, through his command and through his promise, verse 2, for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age and at the set time of which God has spoken to him. Now, if Abraham, the father of faith, by the way, had not created this mess with Hagar and Ishmael, we can say, praise the Lord, Isaac is here. Praise the Lord, Isaac is here. But guess what? There's a mess that Abraham created. Ishmael and Hagar are there as well. In verse 9, we find the verse, 21 verse 9, where Sarah now is battling, or where we find the very heart of the battle, of this blessing, of the firstborn, of the throne. Verse 9, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born of Abraham, scoffing. In other words, what this indicates is that it's some 15 years from the time that um, the Ishmael has been born. And because Abraham and Sarah have been wavering uh, here and there, that by now they probably, Abraham probably has been um, raising Ishmael as his firstborn, as his promised son. But now that Isaac has been born, there is some jealousy, there is some hatred there. So we know the story is that the Lord says, Abraham, listen to Sarah. Isaac is the promised one, and out of his seed will come the Messiah. And we find that Abraham, through his reluctance, has to ask Hagar and Ishmael to leave his home. It says that he gives them bread and water and indicates that uh, the water and bread that he gave them was enough to get to their next destination. But as we know the story, they find themselves 
lost. They find themselves with no water, with no bread. And then Ishmael is now left alone by his mother. Because his mother can't stand to see him in that situation. So she leaves him under a bush. There under the shade. So the, and she goes and hides some distance away because she doesn't want to see her son die. Remember now, who created this mess? Man, Abraham, of verse 15. Verse 15. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot, for he said to herself, let me not see the death of my boy. She sat opposite him, and he lifted her voice and wept. Verse 17. Man made the mess, God intervenes again. And God heard the voice of the lad. Remember what Ishmael means, God shall hear. And here it says that God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad, of your son, of Ishmael. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him up with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Man created a mess. God intervenes and says, I'm interested in your mess. I want to clean it up. Why? Because what's at stake is the plan of redemption for you and I. As I invite our singers back up, some of us this morning are sitting in a rut, are in the midst of a mess. And maybe like Ishmael, it's not our fault. We have inherited this mess and we're just standing there with nowhere to go. Well, maybe some of us are like Hagar, where we were part of the creation of the mess, and we are just out hiding somewhere with no hope. But may I suggest to you or encourage you this morning that God is interested in your mess. And like Abraham, and like Sarah, and like Hagar, he wants to turn your mess into a message. message of hope, a message of love, a message that he is almighty, that he is all powerful. Maybe this morning we are facing a test that I talked about in chapter 22, and you can read that at home. And in the midst of the test, God wants to turn your test into a testimony. You know, Game of Thrones, we might get hung up on chapter 21 where we focus on the issue between Isaac and Ishmael. But may I draw your eyes to on a much grander scale that there is a battle for thrones even on a spiritual level. 
between good and evil, this great controversy that you and I are a part of. But there's good news. God is still sitting on the throne. The devil, the enemy, is a defeated foe. So this morning, why don't you let go and let God. I can imagine Adam and Eve, after they have fell, uh, fallen, they now recognize that they are naked. And this is a new feeling to them. They are now ashamed. They are now uh, guilty. But not only that, they are now in hiding from God. Man created a mess, but God intervenes. And notice how God interacts with them as soon as they fall. He asks the question, where art thou? And if you read into it, it indicates that God, who is all-knowing, knew the situation, knew that they had fell. God knew what they were all about. But he asked the question, where art thou? Because he was interested in their mess. It says, where are you? And like Adam and Eve, sometimes in our mess, our natural inclination is to hide ourselves. It's to feel shame. It's to feel lonely. It's to feel unloved. But through the question that God poses, where art thou? He's suggesting to you and I, even today, that the last place we ought to feel shame, the last place we ought to feel unloved, the last place that we ought to feel lonely is in his presence. So I invite you to come into his presence where there is love, there is peace, and there is joy. Why? Because God is interested in your mess, in my mess, and he wants to make our mess a message. So now the battle has been won. God is on the throne. He's still in control. But now the battle is with you and with I, this game of thrones. And I leave you with this question. Who sits on the throne of your heart? Wow. I think at the end of every day, uh, and even at the beginning of the day, we have to ask ourselves that question, who sits on the throne of our hearts? You know, I love how Semu put it, how we're messy people, and that God uses messy people to make things happen. There was hope for Adam and Eve in the garden. Even though they had sinned, God called out to them, where are you? And God's calling out to us today. He's calling out to you and to me. If you're struggling right now, wondering if God uses messy people, if he could use a messy person even like you or like me, the answer is absolutely yes. He's longing to use you, yes, you, to bring about a beautiful, wonderful, majestic change in your life and in the people around you. You simply have to ask yourself the question, in this game of thrones, who sits on my throne?
Thanks so much for listening to Elevate Retake. Elevate Retake, it's recorded weekly at Keene Church. Our audio is captured by Blake Snyder and Isaac Chang. Our sound design and editing are done by Shane Miosi and Inspire Productions. Our executive producers are Michael Gibson and Jonathan Coker. Our team includes Evelyn Elanis, Candice McCormick, Isa Manu, Semu Sialoga, and Alethea Gelbin. Special thanks to Danae Sanji and 88.3 The Journey. Stay connected. You can find Elevate on Instagram and Facebook at This Is Elevate TX. Currently, our services are live streamed every Saturday morning at 10.15 a.m. on the Keen Church YouTube page. We'd love to have you join us. There is always room for one more.